Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And from time to time, I like to bring on writers whose names you probably have seen, whose work you have seen and laughed at for years, but you might not know them personally. Case in point, Jay Kogan is my guest this week, this week and next, because we had a very nice long conversation, which I am breaking up into two parts. But Jay is an Emmy-winning writer. He was there for the very beginning of The Simpsons. He also worked on Frasier. That's where he won his Emmy. He was on Malcolm in the Middle. He created a number of his own shows. And today we talk about his comedy background. He comes from a family of comedy. Also, breaking into the business, insights into Gary Shandling, which is really very fascinating, and the birth of The Simpsons. That's this week. Part one, Jake Hogan on Hollywood and Levine. Well, first of all, you come from a very funny family. Your father was and still is a comedy writer, Arnie Kogan, and he wrote for Mad Magazine. And as a kid, I loved Mad Magazine. Man, to have your dad a writer for Mad Magazine had to be the coolest thing in the world. It was briefly a very cool thing. From the ages of probably uh, 9 to 11, Uh having a dad write for Mad was probably pretty cool. Okay. To those kids who cared about Mad Magazine, it was it was awesome. Okay. They probably... all thought he was Al Jaffe, but it's still, I took it. <laughs> so he also did a lot of variety shows and things. Did you grow up, like, hanging out with Stephen Eadie and I, uh, all those people? Literally Stephen Eadie all the time. Stephen Eadie was, were like, like my aunt and uncle. Uh-huh. Like, I was at their house for, for high holidays. Okay. So, like, them, specifically Stephen Eadie... A lot, and their kids were were very good friends of mine, and that kind of thing. But I also was on the set of a lot of variety shows, so I knew, you know, Carol Burnett and Tim Conway and Harvey Corman and those people, and I uh-huh. met Jim Neighbors, and I met, uh, uh, you know, a, a myriad of variety players, and the Osmonds. Okay, uh, you knew him, even Jimmy. You even Jimmy? Not even Jimmy. Mostly Jimmy. Like when I hung, <laughs> he was my age. So when I hang out with the Osmonds, they'd put me with Jimmy. So that's I would hang out with that. We uh, one of the good stories, 
One of the interesting stories, we, we, we had a house in Encino, and my dad did the Jackson 5 summer show. Okay. So at some point, um, over at my house, my parents' house at, at, in, uh, uh, in Encino was myself, my mom, my dad, my sister, Jill, and my nana, Chicky, with... The Jackson Five with Marlon, Michael Jackson, <laughs> Tito, and all watching a premiere of the Jackson Summer Show. Uh, now, how old were you at that time? I probably was like twelve or thirteen. But to watch my 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 nana and Tito really get along was cool. You know, they really had a lot to talk about, and that was kind of interesting. And and uh, Michael Jackson very quiet, uh, 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 never hit on me. I don't know. Okay. Maybe that was before. Uh, you were cute then, you know, too. I mean, that may have been before the time uh, <laughs> things changed for him. But, uh, and, and they're all quiet. They were all, like, very quiet. And clearly, now I know they were all screamed at constantly right. by their father, and they were f- afraid. I didn't know at the time. I just thought, oh, they're so shy and sweet. But now I know that they were, they were mortified. So yeah. was there a lot of comedy in your house growing up? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, you're a comedy writer. You have comedy writer kids. I mean, it's like it's it's the, there's a value to it that's present all the time. It's passed down, house. just the, the 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 daily talk is accompanied by jokes, and the jokes have a rhythm, and the jokes have punchlines at the end, and the jokes have right. uh, 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 you know a sort of content to them, a fast back and forth about what you were just talking about. So it's, it's bringing the moment of the conversation into a joke and into a joke form very quickly. And that's uh, what you need to do to be a comedy writer, at least in a comedy writer room. It's very helpful. Right. And I but, always said that with my family, it seemed like somebody was always the target. And it could be me. Yeah. It could be my wife. Right. Uh, but somebody was always the target, which we felt was important because the kids had to learn to be able to take it as well as dish it out. Yeah, that sounds horrible, I gotta say. <laughs> we were, I don't recall, there were too many targets in my house. Yes, there were moments when each we one of our foibles... Making fun of each other and we stuff. Had, we were each made fun of separately, and uh, but generally speaking, the jokes were about the thing we were watching or the day or something else. I mean, I particularly was trying to sort of get my father's attention by being funny. So anything we were watching, if we were watching a Danny Kaye movie or a special on TV or something going on outside or a baseball game, the jokes would be about, you know, uh, Davy Lopes and not necessarily about my father. And okay, yeah, we were a tougher room over here. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing we, uh, uh, I was going to say is in our house, and I don't know if it's true in your house, that jokes were often met with silence. Like, in other words, yes. you'd, you'd meet a joke would be pitched with full enthusiasm <laughs> and people would just look at the person making the joke and then turn back and continue talking. Right. It, would be, it would happen, and it would happen so fast, like, yes, we know you're joking, let's move on. We were talking. Like, stop it with your jokes. Stop interrupting us with your jokes. Right. right? Or of- they'll say, yeah, that was funny. Yeah. That exactly. was funny, as opposed to real people, where if they hear something funny, they laugh. Yeah, well, people are pretty sick of your shit at a certain point. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> By the time you reach 11, yeah, you were that were sick guy. Yeah, my shit, and, and, and certainly the worst of it was my father, who constantly made jokes, whose value, whose street value of jokes gave us a house and a college and everything, right. was massive street value, and in our house was valued very little. Like, uh-huh. it was just like, will you just, 
Just be part of the conversation. Stop making jokes. And, I know. of course, that's not his, in, that, not his inclination. Somebody said to my wife once, oh, you must be laughing 24-7. <laughs> right. And she was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. On the 24/7. inside. 24-7. Laughing 24-7 on the inside. Well, so did you always know that you wanted to be a comedy writer? Is that something? No, that's the opposite of what I wanted to be. I okay. never wanted to be a comedy writer. It's a, it's what did the, you want to it's be? It's still the last thing I want to be. <laughs> uh, I want to be anything but a comedy writer. I love show business. I loved watching, uh, going to these shows and watching people perform and thinking that, oh, look how people were making a living doing this. Actors and writers and directors and uh you know, comedians and lighting guys and camera guys. It all looked so fun, but the writing looked terrible. The writing looked like... Hard. Yeah, hard. And <laughs> it's, my dad worked so hard. And a lot of the time he's trapped alone in a room, you know, and, and, and you know, lonely. it seemed lonely and it seemed arduous and there were deadlines and he'd work late at night to find, to turn out a draft to get it just right and do the rewrites and sort of really look at it. And it was, it seemed really hard. Whereas, you know... Tim Conway would walk in and have fun during the day and rehearse and then go home and have fun. Like, it's it, right. it seemed, that seemed better. So you wanted to be an actor originally. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a director. I wanted to be something which seemed more collaborative with people. And, um, and I tried that. I was an actor when I was a younger uh, person, and I was a stand-up comedian for a while, and I did all that stuff. And I never really caught on. I never really was able to get... You know, uh, uh, I, I didn't give it a fair shot, but I was never really let myself become a professional. I became a professional writer. I fell into that before I became a professional anything else. So my, my, my writing partner and I, Wally Walidarski, whose real name or original name was Mark Wallace when I first met him in high school. Uh, <laughs> Who changes their name from Wallace to... Well... I mean, is his, it like, like his, reverse Ellis Island? Exactly. Yeah. His, his, his original family name was, at some point, Walidarski. His father had changed it to Wallace to be more anglicized. Right. And he said, I'm changing it back. So he went through... He literally changed it to Mark Wallace Walidarski. So he kept the last name and added the old name on top of it. And then his writing name he thought would be Wally Walidarski, which is a very good writing name. How did the two of you meet? Uh, we were going to high school together. And uh, we were here, here in L.A.? In Birmingham High School. Okay, yeah, in Encino. In, ba- in, mm-hmm. in uh, Van Nuys. And, yeah, it's uh, our arch rivals, <laughs> Taft, yeah. And we, uh, we uh, you know, drifted together. We liked the same things. We liked old movies and comedy shows and just uh, we were weird uh, New York transplants. He, I was born originally in Brooklyn, and he was born in, in, uh, in Long Island. And, and uh, so we, we had, his dad was in show business, mine was too. So we were, we were buddies for a long time, and we tried to write together in high school uh, at first. What would you write? Um, well, we wrote, I think we wrote a, I wrote a Newhart uh, spec. A spec Newhart. Spe- you were in high school and you in, wrote a spec Newhart. I spe- wrote a okay. spec Newhart and gave it to my dad. I think with Wally. It could have been with Billy Ray, um, but maybe it was with Wally. I forgot which who. Either way, it stunk. Either way, it was terrible. My dad, poor my father, who's working on Newhart at the time. His son hands him this piece of shit script and says, Father... Yeah, but you're 16. Yeah, but still. Know? Like, how do you tell your son, oh, this is not good? Right, uh, right. And he was very sweet about it. He said, well, you know, this could use some work. And, like, you know, he tried to be so gentle with me and yet still found up breaking my heart. Saying, this isn't the greatest thing you've ever read. Um, so I put that away. I also wrote a variety show, like a sketch 
comedy show with Billy Ray, Robbie Fox, Wally Walidarski, and myself, like a sort of Mad TV, before Mad TV existed kind of show. Okay. And then my dad read that and also didn't like that. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, and all these people became writers at the end. Sure, we're all, yeah. All, all writers. Uh, and then... Wally and I uh, always had summer jobs together. We had summer jobs through high school and through college. And then one of our summer jobs in college was working as PAs on It's Gary Shandling Show. And we worked there for a really long time, beyond summer, right. just to stay with it. And then we. And said, you were on it, weren't you, a couple of times? Yeah, I was an actor on it, yeah, a couple of times. How'd you get that? Ah, they just looked at me and said, you do this. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't like this you great... You didn't holiday. do the Meisner method no, or anything to get in. No, I was okay. just a, a chubby kid, and they thought he'd look funny in a tight baseball uniform. So they said, oh, we'll get Jay. A lot uh-huh. easier to cast that way than to actually hire somebody. So uh, I, I, I did... Uh, I, I was Big Grant. I was the adult version of the young boy uh, Scott Nemus in the show, okay, and sort of the sort of the before and after, and the after is not so good. Uh, <laughs> so, and I was, and, and my rule about acting is, I will take any part. No matter how humiliating, if I don't have to audition, and it still stands today, <laughs> I don't care what the part is. You know, you have to roll through feces and say you rape somebody. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I have the job. I'm there. I wear my own clothes. I'll know my lines. All that stuff. So, um, uh, so, the, so Wally and I wrote. Wind up spending nights, late nights, there waiting for scripts to be uh, finished. At the, these were the days when you had to Xerox them uh, and then uh, and then drive them to people's homes. Right. Uh, and that was our job. So we stay up late and we started writing uh, those late nights, writing uh, a version of the script of that show, a spec script of that show, and uh, then gave it to them, said, what do you think? And like my father, they said, eh, uh, good, but we don't want it. Right. Um, and then, Did you learn stuff from Gary Shandling? Oh, I learned so much from Gary Shandling. Like what? Uh, so much good and so much bad. Uh, the good was keep working at it. Keep working. Never give up. He never gave up on a script. Even when things were good, he would still fiddle. He would still work. He would okay. still try to make it better. Um, he he cared so much about, well, the very fact that he had a relationship with me, that he, the star of the show, cared a lot about what I thought, the PA of the show. Mm-hmm. And he, we knew each other by name, and I was invited to his house, and that he his whole you know thing wasn't, necessarily about fame it was just about sort of like he was concerned about building himself up as a person and that was interesting to him and yet he was driven by this thing to try and be successful it was interesting to watch this guy work hard and he was so funny and so smart and always wanted the smarter joke and not just the good joke the good but smarter joke was what he was after what what was the bad Uh, he was tortured he was a really tortured guy. He tortured himself. So he, uh, he wanted to be Zen. He was a kind of Buddhist. He, he aimed at being a Buddhist, but everything about his life that, that I could tell, he hated. So, like, he, was, he drove himself nuts. Instead of being at peace with all the things that you could have, uh, and he was very successful, he was a little bit, at least a little bit too very annoyed with everything. Mm-hmm. So the house that he built, he was annoyed. He would give you a tour <laughs> of his house. Um, room by room with what he hated about each room uh-huh. and then say, what do you think? <laughs> He'd say, well, you're rich enough to rebuild it. Why don't you do it right? He said, no, I live this. This was the house that he built. I once, so I was in Hawaii once. Coincidentally, he was there too. Uh, and he pulled me in and, and he wanted to watch a sunset. And so we watched a sunset and he, that was his favorite thing, a Hawaiian sunset. And we watched it and he was at, 
not great. You know, like he would say, it's like, <laughs> not great. So to him, he was hoping for something better. So that was the, the thing about Gary. He was like always looking for that one perfect thing that was never quite there. The older he got, I think the closer he got to satisfied, right. but never quite there. Kind of the definition of show me an unhappy Jew and I'll show you a happy Jew. <laughs> I, I guess so. But it's just his, like you're saying, it's his nature. But I mean, I think, I think there are happy Jews. I think there are actually happy Jews. I've seen it. Okay. Seen I'm it. happy. Yeah, I've seen I'm it. I'm happy. So you you seem happy. I'm pretty happy. Yeah. You I'm seem sure. pretty happy. Maybe too happy. You know, I like, I think <laughs> having a little uh, fire under your belly and a little bit unhappiness drives you uh, somewhere. That's pretty good too. How did you finally break in? Who finally didn't say this our, isn't good our enough? Our mutual friend Sam Simon, okay, uh, took. He was a consultant on It's Gary Shandling's show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was showing the second spec script of It's Gary Shandling's show that Wally and I had written. While they rejected the first one, uh, we wrote a second one, and I said, "Okay, well, this is good enough to show somebody." So I, I was showing agents and and anybody uh, who would look at it. How and, old were you at this time? 21. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and, and Sam looked at it and, and, he, and, he, and he said, I'm going to show this to the folks at the Tracy Ullman show. And I went, great. And then, um, and then he did. And I guess whoever it was, it could have been Heidi or Ken Eston, Ken Eston or Jerry or maybe Jim, whoever looked at it said, yeah, bring him in. And we pitched to Jim and Heidi and Jerry and Jerry Belson and Ken. Yeah. And, and and Sam, and we pitched sketches, a right. bunch of sketches for the Tracy Ullman Show. Yeah, we, we wrote for the Tracy Ullman Show as well. Mm-hmm. We had 12 sketches to pitch. They picked one. Okay. They said, go write that. So we wrote a sketch. We turned it in, and a day later they said, Jerry Belson called us up and said, boys, you're hired. You're going to be rich and miserable for the rest of your life. <laughs> uh, so they hired us at the lowest, you know, as staff writers on the Tracy Ullman show. And our job was just to churn out material that could be rewritten by much better writers. Uh-huh. And that's what we did. Yeah. Um, Jerry Belson, he used to be the partner of Gary Marshall. And uh, we first worked with him on Cheers. Yeah. One of the funniest men I've, I've ever met. And when my son Matthew was born... He sent a gift along with a note that is in his baby book. And the note said, Dear Matthew, always remember I was funnier than your father. <laughs> <laughs> he was hysterical. Uh, Jerry, was, th- Jerry was so funny, in fact, that... Well, a couple of things about Jerry, who's sadly not with us anymore, but uh, that he was in a rewrite room late at night. He would pitch a joke, and we would all die laughing at this funny, funny joke and then see it the next day, and it would die because only Jerry Belson right. could tell that joke. He was hysterical, but in his voice, which was this, this very whiny, whiny voice. This, he wasn't Jewish, yeah. but he had a whiny Jewish voice. Yeah, uh, that was this guy from El Centro, and <laughs> he had this whiny voice. But it was it was like contagious yeah. because like Sam uh, adopted Heidi. it and Heidi yep. adopted it. And, and so you're sitting in a room with all these people and they're all going, uh, this is really funny. Yeah. I really <laughs> like this. Yeah. Now, I think we've got something here. Wally and I were 21 years old and we were looking at this room of whiny old people <laughs> and we're thinking how old, well, oh my God, these are the most 
<laughs> ancient people in the world, not realize that at the time, I think Jerry Pearl was probably like 48 years old. He yeah, wasn't. Right. And and Heidi was 25 and <laughs> Sam was 26. Right. Yeah. So like, it was like, it seemed shocking to me now that I am in my mid fifties that those people were younger than I was. And oh my God, how old they, so they, were, so, they were like leaning back all grasping their bellies as if they all had ulcers and just, you know, how miserable. Fetching. And, yeah. yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. And then, then from there, I guess you moved on to the Simpsons, right? Right. Well, Sam, you know, being our uh, our, our 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 leader and uh, and and helped us really just he was executive producer of became executive producer of the Tracy Ullman show and then started working on the Simpsons. Brought Wally and I in on the very beginning of the the, the Simpsons. It was really. It was Matt and Sam and me and Wally at the very beginning, and they wanted us to help produce the show at the very beginning, and then Gracie Films wanted us to stay on the Tracy Ullman show, but we wound up consulting on that show the first season and writing two episodes, but we weren't able to sort of supervise, produce, or exact produce with them. Right. But it was fun to watch them uh, work and help be part of that creation of the of Springfield and those characters and watch Sam and Matt when they got along <laughs> be really creative together and work well together and sort of adopt each other's ideas. Well, I've always maintained, and I know it's not a popular position within Gracie Films, but I've always maintained that Sam Simon was the real creative voice of The Simpsons. Why is that not a popular well, position? Well, they, they seem to downplay. I mean, he left and it was not a... A, a pleasant parting of the ways. Yeah, but and I acknowledge, I mean, at least I'd, I've spoken to many of the key players, the Richard Sakai's and the Jim Brooks of the world. They acknowledge how much work. Do they now? Uh, okay. Sam did. Because there was, you know, you would read articles. But that's not from Gracie. That's from the press. Right. But but you would read long articles where Sam was like barely mentioned. Right. Well, and that's a much better. I mean, that that to yeah. me is just smart marketing. Like to if you have a show, a brand new show that's kind of a hit and you want to market it as something crazy out of the box. Do you say veteran cheers? No, writer. No, th- no, this was after the fact. This was long after Sam had left. Okay. Because like I said, there was a lot of acrimony when yeah. when Sam left. Yeah. And um and I think it was kind of reflected in the kind of revised history of of The Simpsons. But I again we wrote episodes very early on in the run. Yeah. And my sense is that Sam was really the creative force of that show. He, well, he was a certainly one of um, the main creative forces, but without Matt, I don't think... I For a long time, I dismissed Matt's creative partnership okay. as not as relevant, not nearly as relevant. And over time, I've actually grown to appreciate more of what Matt has done. What, what than, more like, has Matt done that, that you learned to appreciate? Well, no, at the beginning. In other words, his his... Spark of weirdness, his insistence that Springfield is a is a place everywhere. His his the, the sort of strange parts about The Simpsons. The originally Marge, for example, was a rabbit. That big ha- uh-huh. long, tall blue right. hair right. was covering rabbit ears. Okay. 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 So that's what he thought. <laughs> uh-huh. he would, that's why she looks that way. The Bride of Frankenstein. She looks that way because she has rabbit ears. Okay. Weird little. Things like that, which never came to pass, but stuff that was in Matt's mind, 
there's there's an X factor to The Simpsons that's part of what happened. I mean, Matt drew those five characters. He made that little weird world with him and Paul Germain and David Silverman in the little Tracy Ullman's short pieces. Right. That thing had its own life before Sam got a hold of it. Sam redrew those guys. Sam literally sort of reshaped the characters, what they look like. And added added humanity to the yeah, and and thing. Jim did too. Jim yeah. sort of infused humanity to them, and and but Matt wasn't against that. Matt was all for it not being a cartoon, and Matt was was with that group. It wasn't like he was being pulled with it. He was on board with it. So it was like that was a, a synergy there together until they sort of diverged. And okay, when they diverged, what was the issue? Really, the issue was Matt getting all the credit, and Sam couldn't handle it. Okay. That was really Fair enough. That was uh-huh. the issue. That that at Gracie Films and everybody else said, We have this perfect guy here, Matt Groening, who uh is affable as hell, adorable, mm-hmm. really funny, great on TV. Let's ship him out and send him on all these talk shows and be the face of the guy. And he can be like he can be our Gene Roddenberry. He'll be our the the the, the one hero that created the Simpsons while everybody else will do the work and make this funny show. And it'll be a win win because he's not necessary for everything, certainly. And meanwhile the show will go on. And it was great marketing. And Sam Simon, meanwhile, is left behind to do all this work and he's saying, Well, fuck that. And and right. when they actually did get an interview from the L.A. Times or the New York Times. They didn't want to hear from him. They wanted to hear about Matt Groening and how he created it and what was it like to watch his the master work. And mm-hmm. it would infuriate Sam. And eventually he got so tired of it and so rich that he just said, I can stop and I will. And that'll do it for part one of my two-part interview with Jay Kogan. When we return next week, we'll talk about the writing staff of The Simpsons. Also, Frasier, Malcolm in the Middle, and a very interesting chat group that Jay had put together. This was prior to Facebook, but it included such luminaries as Carrie Fisher. And I was fortunate enough to be on that. Ann Coulter was on it for one night, and we just buried her. Anyway, that's next week, part two of my interview with Jay Kogan. Our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce, and Jason Miller. If you want to get in touch with me for any reason, you can email me at hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I will write you back. I, of course would love a five-star review and you can follow me on twitter at ken levine follow me on instagram hollywood and levine thanks for listening catch you again next week part two with jay kogan right here on hollywood and levine